You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. This is Tay Kim, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast. When I think about the concept of being a billionaire versus a millionaire, two bits of pop culture instantly come to mind. One is Travi McCoy and Bruno Mars singing... I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad. And the other is Dr. Evil from Austin Powers asking for a million dollar ransom because he has traveled to the future and ludicrously doesn't know to ask for more. One million dollars. Growing up in the 70s and 80s, becoming a millionaire seemed extravagant and unreachable. A billion was unthinkable. But as these two pieces of pop culture show, whether because of inflation or just an expanding world economy, a million dollars isn't quite what it used to be. In fact, even your average Joe or Jane can sit around and fantasize about what having a billion dollars would actually look like. Well, my guest today did exactly that, and then he made a YouTube video about it. His conclusion, however, was not exactly what you'd expect. Take him as the man behind the Financial Tortoise platform. As the name of his channel implies, he believes in getting rich slowly. He is the creator of FinancialTortoise.com, and his YouTube channel boasts over 100,000 subscribers. Take him. Welcome to Earn and Invest. Let's start with a really basic question. Do you know any billionaires? Personally? Me personally, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think in the past that that was something you could eventually get to like did you ever look at yourself and say yeah i could possibly be a billionaire one day i didn't have a concept of the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire i think uh when uh, when i was younger and when i i wasn't good with money so i think billionaire was a term now that you know these days you do see billionaires on tv um and on social media so i think it was just a concept of wealthy was what kind of uh, came to my mind um, when we hear the word billionaire. Yeah, I don't know if I would say like specifically a billionaire, but I think um, the idea of being able to do what I want to do whenever I want to, you know, all the stuff that you see on TV and social media, I think that was kind of in my mind. But because I didn't know, I didn't have a kind of a quantifiable, like understanding of what that meant. I guess uh, deep down inside, I didn't want to be a billionaire. <laughs> You say that you 
at least when you were younger, weren't particularly good with money. And certainly you didn't have this concept of what being a billionaire was. When did you get interested in personal finance? Like, what did you do coming out of college? And how did that relate to what you're doing now? I guess my personal finance journey where I started really learning about money happened after my wife and I got married. So we got married right after I finished business school. I got my MBA and then my wife was finishing nursing school. And then we were just starting off in our careers. And then combined, we had $105,000 of student debt. And I think this was, and this was, you know, years after college, I, um, I had a career. I was, I did ROTC when I was in college. So I had a military career and then into business school. And then up to that point, I guess I was just kind of really not thinking too much about money. I think for me, the focus more was more on career success. But then when my wife and I, we had our wedding, and then we kind of looked at where we were at financially. I think that's when it kind of hit me that I was in this kind of razor thin edge of if one thing just went wrong, I'll be in a financial catastrophe. Like if one of us lost our job or um, some major accident happened or major life event happened, like there was no cushion. We were just, yeah, we had nothing to our name except a bunch of debt. So my wife and I, we went to, thankfully we were introduced to Dave Ramsey. So we went through the whole Financial Peace University, read a, read the book, went to the conference, became kind of a a huge Dave Ramsey, um, you know, follower, followed the whole baby steps. And then we paid off $105,000 student debt in about three and a half years. I think a lot of people who go through Dave Ramsey kind of also attest to this is that like, once you get to a certain point, you're kind of like, huh, under what's next? And yeah. thankfully, I also found um, like the financial independence community to choose FI podcast. This was, you know, uh, like, I can't even remember, like 2015, 2016. And then that's when they were starting to get really big. So I got introduced to the FI community, got plugged into the FI groups, went to um, uh, Chautauqua, FI Chautauqua, went to Camp FI. So it kind of got introduced to a lot of these new new kind of, I guess, advanced level of personal finance. You go from, you know, Dave Ramsey paying off student debt. And then um, that's when I think just a progression of learning more about money, more about what just the mechanics of money, but at the same time, I think just the psychology behind, like, what does it mean to have money? What can this resource do? And then, you know, it naturally kind of leads to discussions about lifestyle, lifestyle design. If we design the perfect life, like we need to have this just enormous amount of money. Like we can't do anything until, you know, like, you know, we become like Warren Buffett and Elon Musk. But I think one of the things that really helped me going through this personal finance journey, being connected with a lot of very smart individuals in the financial independence community was that that lifestyle design can actually happen quite early on. It doesn't have to be until you hit your billionaire. And actually, most people are not going to hit billionaire anyways. So I think that was uh, kind of the impetus for like writing, you know, this article, creating the YouTube video, but at the same time, um, something that wife and my wife and I have been trying to practice uh, in our lives for the past several years. So in a moment, Tay, we're going to talk about your video and blog post about why you don't want to be a billionaire, specifically don't want to be a billionaire. But before mm-hmm. we get there, let's talk about your platform, Financial Tortoise comes from the tortoise and hare story, right? And the tortoise uh, is slower, but makes consistent gains and eventually wins the race. Mm-hmm. 
How did you come up with this idea or connect with this concept, especially given the fact that, you know, self-described, you discovered Dave Ramsey and you paid off $105,000 worth of debt in three years. That's not slow. There's nothing tortoise-like about that in my (laughs) mind. Why did you connect so much with that message? I think uh, the whole concept of slow and steady was always something that uh, my wife and I connected with. We always talked about how, you know, we weren't the smartest in school or the fastest in sports. But if we stuck with it for a long enough time, and then we persist, don't try to do anything fancy, then eventually, you progress much further and faster than you initially have thought. I coach my son's soccer team, or I used to, um, and he's nine years old. And when this is one of the things that I always constantly tell him is like, you know, there's other kids when you're in the field that are faster than you, that are going to, they're bigger than you. You know, when you're not nine years old, you got a kid that's six feet tall and you also have a kid that's like four feet tall next to him. So then um, I always try to tell him that like, if you focus on just daily incremental improvements, a year from now, you'll be surprised how much better you got. But then that's where most people give up it because they're trying to get to a destination so quickly. Like, oh, I can't juggle the ball 100 today. I can't run as fast as that kid. So I'm going to stop. And same with money. Like, I feel like, oh, I don't have a million dollars today. So I, I, I might as well just give up. Why, why even try? But then, you know, for a lot of people who've gone through a wealth building journey, most of them would say that, you know, they're, it's a, it's not a get rich pathway. I think there are ways, but you know, most of the times those are very rare. For most people, it's been a slow and steady climb. The daily progress, you could barely see it. But then when you compound that over months and years and decades, then we all get to the end. And we're like, oh wow, like I didn't realize this actually worked, you know, the whole quote about like compounding is the seventh wonder of the world or eighth wonder of the world I forgot but you know it really works you know um and I think for me like that's what my wife and I saw like our whole financial journey I guess if we want to kind of bucket it in a 10-year period we start out with negative hundred thousand dollars in debt and then by slowly kind of focusing upon you know how much debt can we pay off this month how much debt can we pay off next month? And then just focusing on those little things at a time. And then later on, it became how much more can we save now? And then it might not seem like saving $500 this month seems much. But if we can sustain that over and over again for a long period of time, then after a decade, we look back and we're like, oh, wow, that actually was quite a lot. So I think that was it was always something that kind of spoke to my wife and I, just not just in money, but life in general. So I think uh, it was kind of a natural extension of who you are. I think as we talk about this idea of millionaire status versus billionaire status, what we're really doing is we're talking about what is enough. So before Mm -hmm. we get to why you don't want to be a billionaire, specifically what you talked about in that YouTube video, how do you define enough for yourself? Yeah, so I think that's a a very personal question for each individual. I think it's very different. Um, I think this is something that my wife and I, we discuss quite a bit as regards to like, what is most, I think it starts starts out with what is most important to us. And then I think that helps to filter out what's not important to us. Because I think that's where it's hard um, because we are social beings. So we get 
socialized into identifying what is important to us based upon what our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, you know, what what they deem is important. And I think it takes a bit of soul searching to just kind of, you know, it's not saying like, don't listen to anything, but like a bit of a soul searching to just kind of sit down and actually identify like, to me personally, to me, Tay, like what is, what's important to me? If I could wave a magic wand and then spend my day however I want to, or if I could spend my money on something, like what would that look like? And then for my wife and I, I think it's it's changed. It changes with time. It changed from when we were, you know, in our uh, late 20s to like now in our middle age. And sure it will change again, you know, 10 years from now. But um, I think this is a constant question that we ask, our, we ask ourselves. And, you know, from a just a practical perspective today, I mean, I think the most important thing for us is being the freedom to be able to spend time with our two kids that we have nine and a seven-year-old. And then if we have food on the table, oh, actually, like to take it a little step further, if I could specify. So I I remember having this conversation with my wife. I would say to her, if she could spend extravagantly on um, whatever food she wants to, it's the whole idea of like going to the restaurant. And then she's like, I don't have to look at the right side of the menu. I could look at the left side and order whatever I want. And then two was uh, she grew up always having to go to um, those discount retail stores to buy clothes. And she's like, you know, if I could find the brand that I want and if I can spend extravagantly on it, and then if I can do those two things, like life set. Like, I don't care what car I drive. I don't care where we live. As long as we're living in a safe place, like those two things, if I can do that, like that's enough for me. And then for me, I remember it's kind of nerdy, but like I was, I grew up, uh, I'm sure a lot of, you know, kids like uh, library acted as a daycare uh, after school. So then like my parents, my mom would drop me off at the library. And I remember thinking like, wow, like, and this was this kind of a natural byproduct of spending a lot of time in the library, learn to love books. So then um, I think for me, I joke around a lot of times like, man, if I can buy all the hardcover books that I want, not have to worry about the price, like that's enough for me. What I eat, my wife, she cares about it. Like that really doesn't like, you know, float my boat. So yeah, I think those are like little nuanced things. But then overall, yeah, like just spending the time to identify like what that is for us. And just because like, you know, our neighbors are driving up in a brand new Tesla, that that doesn't necessarily have to translate to that's what I want to, right? It could be, but that requires a lot of soul searching and you have to identify that for yourself. So, and then, you know, this is, this is like, you know, uh, you know, Ramit Sethi talks about this all the time, like spend extravagantly on the things that you love and then cut back mercilessly on the things that you don't. And that's something that we also try to practice, say, okay, like if we want to spend money on eating out and we don't have to worry about what's on the right side of the menu, what else, what are we saying? We don't care what we spend money on. And then for us, like one of the things is like a car where like, it doesn't matter what brand it is, as long as it's safe, (laughs) we can care less, you know? So we're talking about why you don't want to be a billionaire. And so you talk about five key points in your YouTube video, and I want to run through a few of them. The first reason you say you don't want to be a billionaire is it would take a really long time or outsized returns. You know, I was interested by this mm-hmm. argument because it you didn't say it's impossible, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't say, boy, it would take a thousand years. It can't be done. Um, but the numbers are fairly interesting. Talk about the unlikelihood of having either enough time or getting a high enough returns to be, become a billionaire for your average person. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of the basics of compounding, right? Uh, just a mathematical formula. You can get to it either by you know increasing a couple levers there. So one lever is that you can try to increase the returns 
you know, like I have a hundred dollars, and uh, if I if I want to make that into a billion dollars, I just gotta get multiple multiple thousand returns on it. You know, so you gotta just dial up like what is the investment or business idea that will take my money and then multiply it multiple times. Or or the other part is a time factor. So then, like I can't get as much returns, but I can hold on to this for a very long time. So like in my video, I do a little calculation on this. I said, if you had a a million dollars and then, um, you know, you just want to not take any major risks, you're just saying, I have, I just want to keep it in the market, like a total market, and then I'm going to be okay with a 8% return. It will take you 90 years to get to the billion, billion dollar mark. So you can get there. But then like, you know, right now I'm 42 years old, uh, 90 years, you know, I'll be... 132 years old. So then like, okay, like I could be a billionaire if I live till that long. So there's a possibility, you know, or maybe I'll get halfway there. <laughs> um, but end of the day, I think, yeah. So mathematically, like, yeah, it's not impossible. But if you just do a little back of the ma- back of the envelope uh, math, it kind of, it stretches the realm of, pos- you know, the realistic possibilities. So then that's where I think it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's good to kind of level set like what our expectations are. And you mentioned in the video, you know, if you go up to 26% returns, you can get there a lot faster. But right. again, it's like the idea of I can live to 132. I guess it's possible, but unlikely. The yeah. question is, how likely are you to get 26% returns on a really regular basis for the number of years needed to get to a billion dollars? And then lastly, we didn't even talk about inflation, right? So yeah, yeah, then you yeah, have exactly. to throw in a yeah. few extra percentage for inflation because a billion dollars mm-hmm. won't really be a billion dollars by 90 years. It'll feel right, like right. a lot less money. So it'll be like 100 years ago when people are talking about like millionaires. And then we're like, now it's like, oh, millionaire, not billionaires. Who knows what will be in 90 years? Trillionaires, you know? <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of right. like triply screwed there, right? right so right, right. the question is, is it worth the energy of trying to achieve all these really, really difficult things. That was reason one. Reason two focuses on something that I really actually like. This is a great discussion. It's concentration of risk. Mm -hmm. And I think people really don't understand this. This idea that, you know what, you can go ahead and try to make better than market returns, but it's going to be really hard to do that and stay diversified. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So why is concentration of risk a reason why you don't want to be a billionaire? It's the whole concept of risk. So I give examples in the videos talking about how when you look at the current billionaires, none of them really got there by investing the S&P 500 and then taking enough market risk, but then kind of uh, minimizing that through diversification. They like Elon Musk, he founded, co-founded six companies, Jeff Bezos kind of put all his eggs in Amazon. And then Warren Buffett, too, as an investor, but he's also pretty hands-on with his business, and he's also invested in just a handful of businesses within his portfolio. So all of these guys, I mean, it's a risk, you know, it goes both ways. These guys are examples of, after the fact, they were on the right side, they became billionaires. But I'm sure for every Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett, there's thousands of other people we never even heard of that tried the same thing. But they uh, they didn't make it. So we don't even know who they are. Uh, so statistically, you know, when you're taking bigger risk, the probability of success just declines. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the th- another, another thing you have to factor into your decision making is like, if you want to, if being a billionaire is one of your major goals, then look at how certain current billionaires became billionaires. 
And they didn't do that by <laughs> investing in, you know, um, broad market index funds. They did it by they came to the bat and they swung for a home run. Like they were like, I'm not going, I'm not going for a single. I'm not going to swing until yeah, I, I see a grand home run or run. strike out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? This idea, and we forget to think about it, that there are a handful of billionaires, maybe a little more than a handful, but in the United States, they're really, you know, it's fairly countable, the number of billionaires are. But yeah. what is uncountable is the number of people who swung and missed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Trying to become billionaires. And I think that brings us to reason three is that big returns are just unlikely. Yeah. Like... Trying to become a millionaire in a sense for most of us who are lucky enough and privileged enough to have a reasonable job mm -hmm. is pretty much unfailable if you're willing to do the work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, having high enough returns to become a billionaire, downright impossible, maybe not impossible, but pretty close, right? Yeah. I mean, even Warren Buffett talks about like how... um a luck plays a huge part in, you know, being in the right place at the right time. So then it's not just a factor of having the right skills and being talented enough. You got to kind of be in the right position um, with the right tailwind to kind of give you that extra push. It just happens that today we're seeing Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk as the success, examples of success. But then what if they were to follow the same template just 10 years prior to that? Or 10 years after, would they have the same level of success? We don't know. And that's, that's, it's all part of that, part of that, um, that risk, right? Like, yeah, you're trying to swing for a grand slam home run. And then what if that pitch that came to you happened to come right down the zone, you know, and then you got it. But then the next one, it could just be a half a millimeter off. And then now you're, you struck out, right? So it just, yeah, it just, uh, there's so much, so much luck and just, external factors that we just don't know or don't give enough credit to that plays into a lot of these people, you know, becoming billionaires. We are talking to Tay Kim. He is the man behind the Financial Tortoise platform. And we are discussing being a millionaire versus a billionaire and specifically why he does not want to be a billionaire. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. This episode of Earn and Invest is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
I know it did for me when I was trying to make the decision of whether to leave medicine or not. I had been practicing as a doctor for decades, and I had no idea what life would look like if I left being a doctor. At that point, getting therapy was really helpful for me. It helped me talk out my issues, and eventually I decided that leaving medicine was right for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash E-A-R-N. We are here with Tay Kim. He is the creator of FinancialTortoise.com and his YouTube channel boasts over 100,000 subscribers. And we are discussing the five reasons why he doesn't want to be a billionaire. We've discussed a few already. Reason one is that it would take a really long time or outsized returns. Reason two focuses on the concentration of risks. Reason three is that big returns are just unlikely. And let's get to reason four, Tay. You say being a billionaire is overrated. Explain that to me, because it sounds kind of cool to me. You know, there, there sounds like yeah, there's some good right. stuff there. And and all of this is based on just my uh, assumption. I don't know any billionaires personally that I have interviewed or spoken to. But um, I'm just assuming that billionaire is kind of like a celebrity status. You know, you're like the, the Tom Cruise of the the money world or the uh, the business world. And I, it's there's a... There's, I'm sure you could be a billionaire without people recognizing you or knowing that you are a billionaire. But then I think for people who like Elon Musk or Bill Gates or uh, Jeff Bezos or all these other very successful people, I, I always kind of wonder like what it would be like to um, maintain a healthy relationship with people. And I think that's the kind of the core of like, you know, it's we've all been in positions where there is a level of positional hierarchy at work or in other situations. And then, you know, we've had situations where you, you're you at a certain position, let's say you're a junior analyst at a company, and then your VP is talking to you, and then he or she just makes a joke that's not that funny. But you as an analyst would be like, oh, that's the funniest thing ever. Like, I, you know, like, I can't believe, you know. But then if that person wasn't a VP and you weren't a junior analyst at the bottom of the totem pole, would you be as attentive and would you try to cater as much? And and I think for that executive, it also kind of warps their view of the world. They can't, it's, uh, people can't be authentic around them. And they themselves aren't even sure if they can be authentic because there's this level of, I think, subconscious kind of like attention, automatic attention you're getting from people just by the position. So I kind of wonder, like with billionaires, a lot of times, you know, you know, based on trust, based on um, transparency, based on being authentic with each other, you know, those are the foundations of a healthy relationship. But then when you have this kind of cloud of billionaire and this money and this power that kind of comes with it, it just naturally creates this barrier for people to be able to approach you. And then it could you it could also create this, you know, warped view of the world around you as well. It's like, hey, I say something and everyone's laughing. It's like, I must be a funny guy, right? <laughs> like, but is it because you're funny or is it because you have a billion dollars? 
you know, it does kind of beg the question of whether billionaires are happier. You know, if we look at happiness based on relationships, like you were talking about, well, let's look at some of those billionaires we know about, like Bill Gates, right? Divorced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Jeff Bezos, divorced. Elon Musk has like children with a (laughs) bunch of different women and like it starts to make you question, right? Do the billions make you happier than the millions? Right. Yeah. I mean, based upon just uh, the data points that you just pointed out, I mean, no. And I think, you know, like happiness is another one of those terms where people would kind of define it and they have a different viewpoint on it. Um, I mean, I would personally say no, right? At a, you know, like, I think there's studies that show that, uh, the idea of going back to the the um the concept of enough like i think it's like 75,000 i forgot the name of the study it's probably this was a while back it might have been Kahneman and Tversky yeah okay right so then like at a certain point when you have a roof over your head you can buy put food on the table and then you can get the basic necessities like your happiness i guess uh upward mobility in the happiness curve is you know it it, it it makes an impact when you're going from poverty to enough. But then at a certain point, it starts to taper off and it just levels off because more of, if I have a car that takes me to a point A to B, having a second and third car doesn't really add any more joy to my life. It could actually take it away because now I have two other cars I got to take care of and I got to deal with you know the hassle with the issues and all of that. So yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it from that perspective, I mean, do they how do they define, you know, what happiness is? How does Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, how do they define what um, what brings them fulfillment? And then, I mean, you, I kind of question at times with Elon Musk. I mean, like, he just constantly needed to start these companies doing new projects in a way like that's his pursuit of fulfillment in his life. Um, yeah. And to him, it's not enough, right? That's yeah, the other exactly. thing that's interesting. Like having right, billions... Right. She yeah. still wants more billions, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Insatiable. It's like it's it's one of those, you know, like the idea of are you good? It's not in, you know, in these guys' mind. Plus, probably the reason why they are billionaires. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask a difficult question then. So reason five that you gave is that becoming a millionaire is enough, right? Mm-hmm. So again, we're we're toggling and saying, look, even billionaires don't think a billion is enough. Is a million a magic number or did you just kind of use that in this case because it was kind of showing the difference between a million and a billion? Like, how, yeah. why is a million enough? Millionaire, uh, I think you alluded to it earlier. I think if you're fortunate enough to have a good career, good career capital where you can bring in healthy income and you have good money habits and then you're able to save and invest a portion of your income for a longer period of time, million is an attainable number for most people. At least here in the United States, if you have a million dollars, you you know, using the the 4% rule, you could spend up to, you know, $40,000 a year. If you have two, that's even better, 80,000 a year. And then for most people, um, that is enough to put a roof over their head, to give you basic transportation, put food on the table and to uh, give you, you're, you're not having to suffer, hopefully. Um, so in that sense, I think that is enough to be able to design the life that you want. Yeah, you don't have to sacrifice any more. Is it going to like, it's going to buy you more toys, but now then we're going beyond the, the realm of enough. But yeah, I mean, to your question, 
I think that's just based upon just kind of what I've seen. I think I'm just using, yeah, like for most people, it's an attainable. And then for most people, it gives enough enough for us to be able to sustain a lifestyle that we want. I hate to say it, but I feel like we're becoming victims of inflation because the concept of what a millionaire was back in the 80s yeah, when I was yeah. a kid is not the same as it is right. in 2023. I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's starting to feel less tangible as enough than it than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I I, uh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. One thing when you were talking about in reason five, this idea of a million being enough is you started talking about the concept of flow, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that concept and how it works into this idea of enough money. Flow is this concept written by this very smart scientist whose last name I can never pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept it uh, as from the guy yeah. whose name I can't pronounce. Yeah, from the Hungarian uh, American psychologist that I can't pronounce. But I think if people look him up <laughs> um, on Google, you'll see you'll see the name. So the flow. Uh, so the basics of it is, you know, it's. It's a, like a state of mind or a state of activity where you're so immersed in the activity itself. It almost seems like, you know, time is slowing down. You, everything else outside of you is, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. So he uses the author, he uses the example of, you know, like rock climbers, rock climbers or surfers or people who are doing very intense activity that are very focused get into these states. And then he uses this concept of flow as in which people are finding fulfillment and joy whenever they can get themselves into that flow state more. Plus, you know, you have people that are, um, would have a hard time, let's say like, you know, surfers who would have a hard time like writing an essay, but at the same time, they would wake up at four in the morning every day and go out and surf. And which is like, wow, like, but what's motivating is that idea, you know, like they get into that flow mode when they're out in the waves. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was always, you know, you see this, you hear this concept in a lot of different books, like Cal Newport talks about it in his book, like Deep Work, right? Like getting that flow also, also helps with your productivity. So yeah, I mean, I think um, when I was creating this video, it's just something that I probably just a, a uh, just the product of what I was reading and consuming at the time. But then I think um, I was just thinking about like, you know, with with a million dollars, you have your basics, basic needs met. In a way, it gives you the freedom and the luxury to be able to design the life that you want. And then when you're designing the life that you want, um, when you can understand the concepts of flow, then you're trying to incorporate more of this flow activity in your life, whatever that may be that you're doing. But um it that you know that doesn't mean that you know like you have enough to retire and then you're not doing anything but then in order to maximize the fulfillment that you have in your life it's good to just understand and apply this concept of flow as much as you can in the activities that you're doing so we've been talking about the five reasons why you don't want to become a billionaire but let's flip the script a little bit let's say you won the lottery today and the payout was above a billion dollars, all of a sudden, take him, you are a billionaire. How would your life change? Yeah, it's a really good question. That's a, it's a nice thing to uh, think about. It's hard to say. I mean, I feel very fortunate enough today that 
I think a lot of the things that we, my wife and I, we aspire to, we've been able to attain with our current income that we've had so far, and then what we've saved and invested. Anything yeah. you'd spend money on? Like, for instance, one yeah. that I always hear people yeah, say, yeah. like uh, my friend Leif Dalin, the physician on fire, always says, uh-huh. you know, if I won the lottery, I'd probably take more first class plane plane flights, True. right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, there's right, certain right, right. things yeah. where it would kind of add, right? This yes, idea yes, that yes. I you wouldn't feel guilty about doing some, you know, if you had a billion dollars, that really wouldn't be that much money. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so then I think, uh, what do you call it? in the realm of like quality of life, there are things that we do pause at times, but then I think it would make us pause less. My wife, when she's ordering that, um, that, uh, that new jacket that she's been looking at, instead of looking at it five, five additional times, just be like, all right, it's okay. You can get it. (laughs) Yeah. What about work? Would you stop doing things that you consider work today if you had that much money? I think it would uh, help me to focus more upon the things that I like doing um, and then less on the things that I don't. So I could say like with right now, I'm doing the YouTube channel full time. There's elements of it that I wish I could outsource more. But then I have to be a little, you know, I have to be financially responsible and say, okay, like right, right now is not the time. Yeah. So I would just focus. I would, yeah, that's a good point. I would try to outsource pretty much everything that I don't want to do <laughs> and just focus exclusively on the things that I want to do. So then kind of going back to the idea of the concept of flow, it's like I'm spending more of my time on the things that um, I can uh, enjoy that allows me to get into um, the flow state instead of kind of the more blocking and tackling busy work. Yeah. I, I love the concept of flow and I've actually come upon it on my own researching the current book I'm writing mm. as it, re- as it regards happiness and purpose. Yeah. But in my opinion, flow is the ultimate purpose. Like yeah. when you are in your flow state, you're living your purpose. And what I really love about flow is it's not goal oriented. It's process oriented, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This idea of, when you're in your flow, it doesn't really matter what happens at the end of it. It's yeah. what you're doing at the moment. And so yeah. I really I really love that concept. Are you now supporting yourself or, or right now what you'd consider work is your YouTube channel? You don't like have a nine five or a W2 or anything else you're doing? No. So my wife and I, we've uh after we started pursuing five for a little while, we uh made the transition. Actually, both of us left work. So I left my corporate job a couple of years ago. My wife left her nursing job about a year ago. And then um, one of the big things that, you know, when you're in the FI community, I constantly are asking is kind of like, if you could wave a magic wand and money was an issue, like, what would you want to try? So then we're kind of in that midst of like, we didn't hit a FI, but we had enough resources where we can take risks in our lives on trying out things that were always kind of back of our mind. So then. For me, I always wanted to. Uh, I was a I was a finance director. I did that for about ten years, and then I always wanted to, you know, have my start my own kind of a a business, and then the YouTube just kind of lined up. Uh, where it was a combination of like business, but at the same time, like stretching me in a lot of ways. Uh, coming from a kind of a finance background, like a corporate finance background, like creativity wasn't like my natural 
part of my job description, just board meetings, a lot of Excel files. So one of the things I really enjoyed about YouTube is the fact that it stretched me in so much of my uh, create like aspects of creativity that I didn't think I had about like how to um, edit film, thinking about storyline, thinking about how to tell. How do we, how do you explain index funds in the most creative, interesting way possible, and then do it like you know ten different ways? Um, so those are things that's really stretched me. So I've been very um, thankful that uh, having some of the financial resources uh, enabled me to take that risk. And then my wife, she was a nurse for about twelve years, and then one of the things that she came to after we've had a lot of these discussions regarding like if you wave a magic wand and try something that's crazy, like what would it be? And then she said, you know, I, I never thought I was smart enough to be a doctor. So then she actually left her nursing career and then is uh, uh, joined a postback program at the age of 37 and then is now pursuing that route and trying to uh, trying to get into med school. So then I joke around. It's like that movie 17 again. You know, how <laughs> like you go back and like if you could repeat your, your college years again, you know, so she's taking labs with, you know, 17 year olds and stuff. But it's good. I mean, it's, I think it's stretching us, both of us, in a very. Um, it's not, it's kind of like going back to the concept of flow. It's not really about the the end state or the goal. It's about I think pushing ourselves to to what uh, our individual challenges that grows us, and that's different for every single person. It could have been like, I mean, if it wasn't YouTube, it could have been like, I want to be a K-pop star now, you know, like. But <laughs> hey, like. Why not, right? That that so, would have been a whole different interview we'd be having. It would have today. been a totally different interview. <laughs> I would have started this, you know, with uh with my latest music video and all of that. But fortunately, unfortunately, that that didn't pan out. So yeah. <laughs> well, Tay, I wanted to yeah. thank you for coming on the show today. You know, to say you don't want to be a billionaire obviously gets people's attention. But what I think what we're really saying is there's nothing wrong with being a billionaire. If someone dropped a billion dollars in your yeah, bank account, yeah, you yeah, certainly yeah. wouldn't turn it down. But what it takes to become a billionaire just isn't probably worth it for most of us because the goal is not how much money you have in the bank. The goal is living the life you want to live. Exactly. And maybe by putting our energy into doing those things we want to do and living the life we want to live, we're going to be a lot more successful than worrying about how many zeros come behind that one in our bank account. Right. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how people can reach out to you. So tell us about what's happening on your YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, so I'm consistently producing, posting videos about the slow and steady and uh, quite boring path to wealth, mm -hmm. trying to make the videos as interesting as possible. So if anyone has any creative background um, uh, and wants to share their wisdom, please feel free to reach out. Uh, so best way to get a uh, find me is on my YouTube channel, Financial Tortoise. I have a website. And then uh, if you ever want to connect with me directly, just uh, email me at tay at financialtortoise.com. Hey, Kim, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest today. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Take Him has gotten me thinking about this idea of being a millionaire as opposed to a billionaire. 
As you all know, for me, it's never been about the net worth number. In fact, I think money is a great tool, not a goal. So once you have enough to free you up to do the things you want to in your time to pursue your own sense of purpose, I'm not sure that having more is helpful. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking a lot about Bill Perkins and his book, Die With Zero. Now, let me tell you, I haven't read his book. And the reason why is I generally only read finance books in which I'm interviewing the person. And the reason why is I read tons and tons and tons of finance books a year, as well as a lot of reading for pleasure. So I try to limit the finance books I read to people who are going to be on my podcast. And I haven't had him on the podcast yet. But I often hear people talking about the book, this idea that we should spend now because there's seasons in our life and that money should go to create experiences and we should use our money to live a good life now. And in fact, the hope is that by the time you get to old age, you have just enough to pay the bills and that you eventually die with zero. This is a book that's been compared to my book often. In fact, the two books are often mentioned in the same place. If you look on Amazon and you go to order my book, you'll see his book is a suggested book. It's made me think a lot about whether I agree with this ethos or not. Without having read the book, but talking to a lot of people about it, here's what I think. The problem I have with Die With Zero is just this idea that money has anything to do with the equation. Yes, money is a tool and having lots of money allows you to free yourself up so that you can do things you love in the time you have. But I also think that money is kind of beside the point. Yes, we should spend our money to do purposeful things, but that doesn't mean if you don't have money, you can't also live a wonderful, purposeful life. And furthermore, if you get too focused on using your money to buy experiences, it eventually turns into its own type of treadmill where you're on the experience treadmill and you're spending more and more money to have these quick ephemeral wins that disappear and then you find yourself shooting for the next one. I do believe we have a happiness set and all of these things that money bias increases our happiness briefly, but eventually we hedonically adapt and end up where we started. I just don't think you can buy happiness. And so I think the idea behind Die With Zero is great but flawed. I don't think spending is what truly brings us a sense of happiness. I think meaning and purpose do, and I don't think you need money to ve- to develop a sense of purpose and live in that purpose. Again, yes, money is a great tool, so I can hire someone to clean my house so I have that time in order to do something I find purposeful. No question about that. But I think you can't buy your way into purpose. Let me say that again. I don't think you can buy your way into purpose. So throwing more and more money into it isn't going to make you more purposeful or happy. It's just going to make you more broke. I think the book is a great addition to the literature. I think it's popular for a reason because it really resonates with people quite a bit. This is a fantastic idea, and apparently it's a fantastic book, but I don't think it tells the whole story. And I think for a number of people who don't have a lot of money and can't take oversized vacations and aren't able to spend lavishly, it makes them feel like happiness is unreachable and that maybe purpose is something not for them. And so I want to spread the exact opposite message 
I don't think you need money to have purpose. I don't think you need to spend money to have purpose. I think however much money is in your bank account when you die is probably unimportant as long as you had enough to support you until you didn't need it anymore. I don't care if you die with zero. I don't care if you die with billions. That money can be used for philanthropy or for your next generations if it's left over. I just think about how much money you die with is actually somewhat beside the point. All right, I leave things running just for a little, just to catch us chatting for the after show. Um, anything we didn't talk about, either about that uh, YouTube, specifically that article or YouTube, or anything in general about your platform you want people to know? Um, no, I mean, I think we covered it. Yeah, we did a, thanks for uh, kind of walking me through the uh, the video. It's been a while since I've uh, posted it. So I was trying to like, I had to pull up the article just to see like what I wrote. <laughs> Yeah, and I knew that's yeah. why I also sent yeah. you, like, that's why yeah, I emailed yeah, yeah. you today. I said, yep, hey, by yep, the way, we're going to yeah. talk about this. And then, you know, my goal with this stuff is not to make you, like, memorize or recall from memory yeah. the details. Yeah. My idea is to bring the details to you and then have you interpret right. them, which obviously right. hasn't changed much. Because I knew that that was a few months old. It wasn't It wasn't something you did yesterday. But yeah, yeah. I really liked the appeal of the article because I think, I think you know, b- billionaire dreaming is sexy right this idea of becoming mm-hmm. a billionaire uh, but i don't think it serves us right and that yeah, gets yeah. back to flow and purpose and i have lots of distinct ideas about purpose but i think mm-hmm. if you set your purpose as becoming a billionaire you're really thinking wrongly about what purpose yeah. means and again right. i feel like we should go back to more this idea of what flow is like being in a state of mm. in, being intentional and doing things that light you up right 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 when when we see like michael jordan used to play basketball we used to say he was in the zone right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it's that act of the pure joy interest excitement of doing that thing and being in the right. middle of it right right um, right and I think I think we need to spend more time looking at those type of things. Um, yeah. And I and yeah. I like that this article kind of touched on that in an interesting way. Uh, yeah. The YouTube video did so. Yeah. yeah. And you yeah. also have a we didn't talk about it, but you've got a pretty extensive book list there too. You're you're quite a personal finance reader, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's most of the stuff I talk about is written by people that are way smarter than I, you know, just regurgitation of what they wrote with my my personal uh, ex- personal life experience thrown in there and a little bit of my perspective. But yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a, like most of the stuff I talk about in the YouTube channel are just, uh, what do you call it, um, viewpoints that I agree on, not not specifically that I have formed my, myself personally, just like Joel Collins, the Bogleheads, all of these guys that came you know um before me and then um uh wrote these amazing books so yeah i mean i think uh, i that's one of the big things i try to encourage in the channel too is um just having people um educate themselves i do uh these one-on-one coaching here and there and then it's interesting how the people that i run into all very smart individuals with high income um but then they all have this pain point of not understanding their investments and then they're all like oh take a look at my edward jones list of you know 85 funds that i have (laughs) and you're like i don't get that either i don't yeah i don't get it either either. yeah yeah 
And then they're like, I try to ask them and they explain and I don't understand what they're saying. It's like, trust me, I don't understand what they're saying either. Um, yeah. But that's where I, you know, try to encourage like, yeah, if you just read some of these books, it will just tell you clearly. And it's not just me, like, and then I'm just some random guy on YouTube, but there's people who are actually like legit smarter people who've actually studied this. And, you know, studies and studies have shown that professional, professionally managed funds, like have a really hard time beating the index. So then, you know, there's no need to pay for them. Um, so. What so are you working on the second are you working on the second book? I am. So oh, nice. taking stock when I was so after writing taking stock I you know marketed it did a bunch of talks talked to a bunch of people about it and the book really focuses on this idea of purpose identity and connections yeah, right yeah, we should yeah. be putting that before our finances and then building yeah. a financial framework around it. Yeah. Well the feedback I got from that book was you say this but purpose is actually something that I really struggle with it causes me anxiety. I'm sick of people trying to tell me you need to find your purpose because I can't and it's mm. stressing me out. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I really started thinking about purpose and I did some research on it and I realized like, so there's really great data that shows mm. that people who have a sense of purpose in life, people who even attain that flow state, they tend to live longer, be healthier yeah, and be happier. Right. Like we right, just know right, this, right. the data's yeah. there, Yeah. right? But there's another part of data, which also shows that about 90 to 91% of people at some point in their life have purpose anxiety, like it causes yeah. them serious stress. Yeah. So we have a paradox there, right? The paradox is how can this be both the most mm. important thing in our lives, but also incredibly stress and anxiety producing. Mm -hmm. And so my theory is that we look at purpose completely wrong, that instead of being one thing, it's at least two things. And depending on what type of purpose you pursue, you'll get different results happiness and longevity versus anxiety, fear, and unhappiness. And so the book okay. really is about the different types of purpose, how we pursue the right type of purpose, and how eventually that leads to a much broader legacy. Interesting. Um, and so that's, it's hmm, I actually I sold yeah. the manuscript yeah. to Harriman House. So oh, you I, already wrote it. I So I sold it. So what happens is you sell the book proposal, right? And so oh, they accepted it. it okay. And then okay. I wrote it and it took me about a good month and a half, and it's in editing now. Wow. Um, but it probably Exciting. will come out till either late 24 or early 25, depending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's, it's actually, I really like the concepts, and it actually yeah. moves me out of personal finance and into self-help. So taking okay, okay. stock was kind of a yeah. mix. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is really outside of personal finances. Yeah. Now is much, much yeah. more about self-help. Yeah. Which I'm good and bad about. Like I have a much yeah. long heart. I have more of a stronghold in personal finance because everybody yeah. knows me there. And self help, I'm kind right. of one of a million people. But the concept for the book, I really, yeah. really liked and wanted to write about. That's awesome. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. 